to the MANA radio program, 30 minutes of insight, inspiration, and ideas to help leaders to lead, teachers to teach, pastors to pastor, and parents to parent. MANA is about feeding your soul, improving your serve, and restoring your spirit. And now your host, the founder and president of MANA Educational Services International, it's Dr. Rick Cromie. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mana Radio Program. This is Dr. Rick Cromie, and guess what? It is Christmas time, and I simply love it. You know, the melody of carols ringing in the city squares, soft snows dancing outside my window, yuletide fires crackling in the hearth, chilly nights and hot chocolate, silver bells and jingle bells. It's a wonderful life and a miracle on 34th Street. Messages and gifts from loved ones both near and far. The Christmas pine all dressed up in lights and balls. Neighborhoods aglow and light and sound. Wow, there's just something magical about Christmas, isn't there? Around the world, no matter the religion or race, country or creed, Christmas has a magical mystery. On what other holiday does the whole world pause to reflect on a babe in a manger, the Christ child in the creche? How does one moment in time, two millennia ago, somehow grind our calendars to a halt every year? You know, history reminds us on how Christmas Day the guns of war are eerily silent. The riots of man are are silenced as well. The hate and hurt are forgiven and forgotten. Governments close, families gather, office parties toast, churches fill. Christmas is like no other holiday. It is quite literally a holy day. And yet, if we're going to be honest, for countless people, including many probably listening to this show right now, Christmas is far from pristine or perfect. Our dreams of a white Christmas are usually melted by the blues. Our visions of sugar plums and Christmas hams are devoured by unemployment lines, welfare checks, and rising gas bills. Our miracles on 34th Street tend to be traffic jams on Main Street. Our It's a Wonderful Life attitudes are crushed beneath disappointments, disillusionments, doubt, and despair. Yeah, it's some wonderful life, isn't it? Tragically, our holiday spirits are oh so easily drowned in family problems, financial insecurities, and personal failure. In fact, our Christmases tend to reflect a lot more of that, that scene from It's a Wonderful Life where George Bailey just has had enough with life, and he's at his end of his rope, and he doesn't know what else to do. Financially, he's, he's being overwhelmed, and his family is overwhelming him, and it's, it's Christmas Eve, and everything is coming down upon him, and he doesn't see a wonderful life in it all. You know, isn't it interesting, during this time of year, when we sing of Santa, we truly long for a Savior. When we strive to beat the rush, we are actually hungering just to find some rest. Or when we open our gifts, we soon uh, begin to count our blessings. It may be a wonderful life, but the statistics are startling for this Yuletide season. Between now and the end of January, the depression, suicide, and divorce rates will soar. Family fights will fester. Bankruptcies will blossom. And friendships will fade and fray. 
There's a popular cartoon that for many years has been one of my favorite. It's called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Maybe it's one that you like, too. In this story by Dr. Seuss, the material myth of Christmas is unwrapped. The Grinch is somehow convinced that if he can box, bag, and bury the stuff of the season, that he can keep Christmas from coming. But what he learns is, and an even more valuable lesson, really, he learns that he can't stop it from coming because he has, that's not the meaning of Christmas. In fact, I love that closing scene where, you know, the, the whole point of it comes down to this idea that the Grinch realizes that it can't be bought in a store. There's something more to Christmas, a lot more to Christmas. And I, I love that scene where his, his heart grows like two sizes or three sizes more. It's a magical moment. Where this hardened Grinch is broken and blossomed, he discovers that Christmas doesn't come pre-wrapped from a store. The babe cannot be bought by Visa, and Mary cannot be marketed by this, by Mastercard. You know, Christmas does mean a little bit more. In fact, I believe it means a lot more. Of course, for those of us of faith, we are sensitive to the simple message. We recognize the maze of materialism and crass commercialism that decorates the Christmas holiday. And yet we often find the Grinch stealing our souls during this season. I'd like to quickly review, just in our time together today, six areas in which the Christmas Grinch, you might say, can pilfer our joy and sift our sentiments. I'd like to suggest also six solutions, and they they come from the Bible, they come from Scripture, as far as how we might respond to each one of these Scrooges. You know, one of the first and foremost Grinches in our lives today, and these all spell, by the way, an acronym of Grinch, but the first one starts with the letter G, and it simply means this, greed. Greed. Because if we're not careful, we can get caught by our passions to get. It's not enough to have a plasma television this year under the tree. It has to be a curved plasma television. Madison Avenue is famous for picking our pocketbooks. The ads beg for our attention. The catalogs cry for our orders. The internet sites search for our stops. Just a little bit more is the message. A little bit better. A little bit nicer. The tragedy is we all know what this greedy Grinch is doing. He piles on the images, the sounds, and the pleasures. He whispers and works until we've overspent our limit. For years, Visa has advertised itself as the official card of Whoville. (laughs) Whoville. No kidding. You know, Jesus shared in Luke chapter 12 about a rich fool who let greed get the best of him. He had so much stuff they had to keep building bigger barns to hold it all. And yet despite his success and wealth, he couldn't buy off his own death. Ah, here's the clincher, isn't it? You see, there are some things that even MasterCard or Visa can't buy. And the sooner we all discover that fact, the better we're going to be. Consequently, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus warns with these words. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So what's the solution? Well, I believe it's in simplicity. It's downsizing our dreams, simplifying our stuff, purifying our passions, abridging our appetites. Like the rich young ruler only a few chapters later in Luke 18 I think we need to deliberately walk away from our wealth, not from Jesus. 
It's not that money and possessions are evil, but that they so easily can take harbor in our heart. In fact, that's one of the myths about uh, money, uh, one of those biblical myths, because a lot of people say that money is the root of all evil. Have you ever heard that? Money is the root of all evil? Uh, that's not what the Bible says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus himself declared in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how do we simplify? Well, maybe it's cutting back a gift or two this year, giving yourself as a gift rather than a thing, wrapping yourself in a bow and give your spouse a date or your children more time. I know there are families out there that simply shut off the television and computers for a day or even for the week. Others donate clothes and household goods to shelters and relief agencies. Still others volunteer for various local welfare organizations. My sister uh, has for years, her and her family at Thanksgiving, have baked cookies for the local fire department. It's a wonderful gift. And then they personally go around each one of the uh, fire departments and give them this, this wonderful baked cookies. And these firemen look so forward to their arrival every year. Greed. But there's a second Christmas Grinch, and that's one I call revenge. See, most of us have been hurt sometime this year. I mean, it's a part of life, isn't it? Some have been deeply scarred and emotionally wounded by parents, siblings, peers, friends, teachers, bosses, or fellow employees. Perhaps you've been hurt by some careless words or stolen affections. Perhaps it's been something more serious, like an affair or a broken home. For others, it's been painful abuse, emotionally, verbally, physically, and even sexually. Perhaps this year has not been a banner year in your home. Maybe you've lost a job or a job promotion, or you've been the victim of vicious gossip. Well, despite the crime and the proverb that revenge is sweet, the truth is revenge has little rewards. Hurting another to heal our heart never helps. Paul penned the Roman Christians with these words in chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. He says, Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave God's leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, Paul continues, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. You see, revenge is not ours. It's God's. And so the solution to this yuletide scrooge is to look him straight in the eyeballs and forgive. Wipe the slate clean. Throw away the bill. Stamp the invoice. Null and void. You're never going to be everyone's hero. And you're not also going to, you're, neither are you going to be the world's messiah. Uh, that job's already been taken, by the way. Yeah, a, a third Christmas Grinch is impurity. And I know this one will be a tough one to deal with, but hear me out, please. One of the reasons we lose the joy in this season is we've become saturated by our sins. Like plowed snow on the roadside, we are littered with lusts and lies, packed with pride. We feel like dirty snow, nominally clean, mostly contaminated. From a distance, we seem pure, but 
Closer inspections reveal pebbles of pornography and promiscuity, stones of theft and temper, and the dirt of dissension and disobedience. We struggle like Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, where he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, well, that's what I do. For I have this desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Yeah, I think we can all relate to Paul. Consequently, because, because of that struggle within, we become packaged by our own passions, locked by our own lusts, sealed by our own senselessness. So what's the solution? Actually, the answer starts by recognizing our position in Christ Jesus. You go back to that verse I just shared about the struggle Paul had, and you just read a little bit further in the context and in the passage, and you come to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where he says this, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let that soak in for a moment. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, if you've confessed at the cross, and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you've been buried in the the watery grave of baptism, if, if you believe those things and you daily try to live for him, then guess what? You're free. You're free. Sentence is commuted. The penalty paid. The bill forgiven. Now, that doesn't mean we continue to wallow in our wrongs, but it does mean when we fall, fail, or falter that we're still a friend of God. And that's a good thing. The Hebrew writer commands us to excellence in our purity. Did you know that? In chapter 12, verses 14 through 15, the Hebrew writer pens these words. He says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know, I guess that's my question to you right now. What is your bitter root? What weed do you allow to grow in the gardens of your heart and mind? What thistle grieves the Holy Spirit? Whatever the sin, whatever the transgression, whatever, whatever is the causing, that's causing you right now to miss the mark with God, I think it's time to root it up. Tear it out. Dig it up. Make every effort to be holy. You know, a fourth Grinch that robs our Christmas joy is similar to greed. It's our neediness. Now, this is a pretty simple one, really, but and I think we can relate to it, especially some of us in my audience here might be able to relate to this. But there's a lot of great need during this holiday season. I was listening today on the radio to another show where they were talking with a local um, food bank and agency here in, in Boise area, and, and he was talking about uh, in this very, uh, very good suburb, very, uh, some would say upper middle class, wealthy suburb of Boise, that there are a lot of people who are known as the working poor. They're doing everything they can to get by. But this time of year, they especially need a little bit more help. And the food bank steps in and helps them do that. You see, some of us struggle with under unemployment, or we live in near poverty, or we feast upon low-end salaries and dwell in dead-end positions. Matter, money is a matter of survival, not status. We work just to fill our bellies on Christmas Day. In a world of Scrooges, we find the holiday excesses of, of the rich to be tempting but trite. Maybe, maybe we're not the homeless under the overpass or the drifter by the, 
downtown mission. Maybe you're not like those individuals, but maybe you're a, a single mother of three just trying to survive. Or you're the widower with no family nearby, all alone for Christmas. Maybe life looks a lot like that scene from Christmas Vacation where, you know, Clark Griswold is walking his his buddy or his uh, family member Eddie down the the aisle there in Walmart, and he's he's just saying, "Listen, I I've got a we, we want to give you a good Christmas," and and Eddie's taking total advantage of that. He's just he piling on the dog food, and he's throwing other things in the cart, and and then he he expresses his gratitude by pulling out a list of of several items that he's already pre-written out that he wants Clark to, to buy. You see, his hand was out. He wasn't looking for a hand up. He was looking for a hand out. And, of course, that, that clip teaches a lesson to those of us who are more needy during this time of the year. Just because we have a little doesn't mean we should take advantage or expect others to always rescue us, especially if we choose not to be ambitious and seek work. There are a lot of people who have their hand out, but they're not willing to to take a job, or certain jobs are beneath them. Let me tell you, we can all work. We can all find some work somewhere. The world doesn't owe any of us anything. In fact, the Apostle Paul commands the unemployed and idle in Thessalonica to get to work. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Now, now what was that teaching? Well, a few verses later, he gives it. He says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Here it is. Listen. Listen for the rule. He says, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Wow. Wow. I've got to tell you, I've been needy. I've had I've had my moments of poverty several times, especially in recent years, where I really struggled to get by, to pay the bills, and to even to eat. I had to go to a local church uh, on several occasions to go to the food bank. It was a very humbling experience for me, especially for me. I, I really struggled with it. But during those times of poverty, I learned something. I learned in my times of need to be content. You see, Paul understood trial and trouble. He was in chains when he wrote the Philippian church these words, quote, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now that word learned in the the Greek, it's the word emathon. It literally, it's where we get the word math. He learned, it means he struggled, but he learned it just like you'd learn a math lesson. I learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul continues, he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says he's learned the secret. But what is it? Well, it's actually in a verse often quoted out of context. Paul continues in Philippians 4.13 with his secret to contentment. Quote, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Did you catch it? Paul's ability to be content, whether in prosperity or in prison, was in the reliance upon him, upon Jesus, who provides the strength to stand. So I got a question for you. Maybe a, actually a few questions here for you. First of all, are you content if you never do better? Are you content if you never live in a better place? Are you content if your health never gets better? 
Are you content if you never work a better job or make a better paycheck? Are you content? Are you content with the things that you have now? That's the secret. A fifth Grinch that works his way into our lives this time of year is criticism. In the quest for a perfect life, we fall prey to disappointment. People let us down. Situations cause despair. Circumstances challenge our faith. Some of us grew up in hypercritical environments where nothing we did was right. In fact, some of us still walk with a limp under the criticisms of employers and teachers, parents and peers. And some of us are now the ones who criticize and complain. No matter how well our child does, we just never see the good. No matter how wonderful the project or event or activity, uh, we still find some fault in it. As one who grew up in a critical environment, I have long lived with this particular Grinch. His growls often cause me to sour situations and pain people around me. I can be extremely critical of others. As my wife Linda personally knows and still puts up with. You also need to know something about me, and that's that my criticisms can also turn within. I am most critical of myself. I never grade my life on the curve. I rarely earn an A. I've often evaluated myself short. I suspect you have too. You see, the difference between self-love and self-loathing is razor thin. So what's the solution? Well, what I have found the solution to overcoming criticism is just to simply be thankful. When my son Ryan didn't clean his room to my expectations, I learned to be thankful for his willingness to at least give it a try. When my daughter Becca didn't play the piano perfectly in a recital, I was grateful that she loved music. When Linda cooks something for supper that I'm not so thrilled about, I'm thankful for a loving wife who works hard long after I've shut down for the day. And when my students do less than I expect, I just thank God I have students. For without them, I would have no job. You see, gratefulness is the key. But let me take it a little bit closer to home. Because when I blow my own personal expectations, I've learned to smile and thank God simply for the opportunity to fail. You know, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Did you hear it? Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because it's God's will. Are you thankful today? Maybe before you go to sleep tonight, you need to let somebody know that you're grateful for their influence and their who they are and what they mean to you. And don't forget yourself. Be thankful for you too. The final Grinch is an all too common one today. Hate. It's a volatile world that we live in. Hate speech, race wars, road rage, Republicans revile Democrats, and the Democrats denounce the Republicans. The Middle East is rocked by war, and ethnic cleansing is common around the globe. Muslims hate the Christians. Protestants hate the Catholics. Then you get a little bit closer to home, fights fracture our families. I hate you is a common phrase in America's home. Our, Our schools... Events, workplaces, they now feature metal detectors. Metal detectors. But nothing seems to help. From Las Vegas, Nevada to Sutherland Springs, Texas, mass shootings dominate and really dominated the news in 2017. 
In fact, as of today, as of today, there have been 328 mass shootings in America this year. That's almost one per day in America. So the question becomes, what causes hate? Well, it's actually rooted in anger, and anger is the result of unmet expectations. Our anger and tempers are directly related to the difference between reality and expectation. The more we miss the mark or fall short of that expectation, the greater the anger. Are you listening? You see, many people believe the opposite of love is hate, but that's not true. Love and hate are parallel tracks. The opposite of both emotions is apathy. You can hate as passionately as you love. It's when you no longer care to hate or love that you move beyond the person and the circumstances. And that's when you find healing, whether it's a person, family, community, or a country. You see, I believe wars will end when countries no longer care to solve differences with bloodshed. Race riots will quell when people no longer care about the color of skin that we're wrapped inside. Family fights will fail when parents and children no longer care to make mountains out of molehills. Church splits will falter as believers care less about personal agendas, preference, and pride. As Christians, we are called to love passionately everyone, including those who hate us and even persecute us. We're especially commanded to love each other. John writes in his epistle, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. He doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Essentially, hate is a blindfold. It's a choice we make to wear it, and the consequence is darkness. And for those of us trapped within hate right now, boy, you know how dark that darkness can be, don't you? So, let's just consider our lives right now. You, me, everyone. Everyone listening. Is there someone that you outwardly hate? Outwardly hate. Is there somebody that you secretly hate? Are you angry that they've not lived up to expectations? Let me suggest to you that if you want peace on earth this Christmas, it really begins with you. With you. With you dealing with each one of these grinches, the the greed and the, the revenge and the impurity, the neediness, the criticism and the hate that, that's inside. It's pretty simple. But here's the thing that's really interesting is the Grinch can only steal our Christmas happiness if we hand over the keys to the house. This thief comes in to rob us of our joy and we give him the opportunity. We let him do it. We let him steal our peace and embezzle our love. But you know what? We don't have to let the Grinch do that. We don't have to let these Scrooges do this. And I'm here to say... That at Christmas, just as the Grinch learned, Christmas means something more. It means something a whole lot more. Charlie Brown learned this lesson, too, if you remember the Charlie Brown's Christmas, 
when he was having a rough day, he was looking at his little tree, and the little tree was just basically nothing. And he he went to Linus and and said, Linus, I, I just I've messed up everything, and I just don't I don't know what the meaning of Christmas is. Why what's Christmas all about? I don't get it. And Linus just goes out on stage and a darkened stage, and he just quotes from Luke chapter two of the story of Christmas. He just recites it story of Mary and Joseph coming into Bethlehem, story of shepherds coming to a to a place around the manger and to to worship this newborn baby, this newborn baby in a cradle. So here's the question for you this Christmas. What's your cradle like? Or maybe better yet, how full is your cradle this Christmas? Is Jesus just a symbol of the season or is he the source? Is he still a babe in the manger or the master of your life? See, the greatest tragedy of Christmas is that our society is perfectly content to keep Christ in the creche. It wants nothing more than to keep the Christmas story to a few renegade shepherds and searching wise men. But the truth is, Without the cross, the crash is meaningless. Without the grave, the gifts are worthless. Without forgiveness and grace, peace on earth and goodwill to men are just seasonal slogans. Without Easter, there's no purpose to Christmas. Sure, the Grinch would love to steal your Christmas. You know it, I know it. The Scrooges would love to haunt our homes and mess up our moods. But even the Grinches and Scrooges bow before the King of Kings. And when they do... It's a true miracle on 34th Street, and that's when you and me and we all discover that it's truly a wonderful life. Well, my radio friends, I pray that your Christmas is memorable, and I ask God that it also be blessed and beautiful as well. Merry Christmas and Happy 2018. You've been listening to the MANA radio program with Dr. Rick Cromie. MANA Educational Services is passionately committed to empowering leaders to lead, teachers to teach, pastors to pastor, and parents to parent. MANA offers workshops, video, and online training products and solutions completely for free. That's right. Plus, MANA offers digital downloads and other inspirational products and solutions, again, free of charge. And that's because of the generosity of our loving donors. MANA operates by the prayers and generosity of individuals and churches like you. And we invite you to consider a donation to our work. All donations are tax deductible. For more information, please visit our website at manasolutions.org. That's mana, M-A-N-N-A, solutions.org. Thank you.